Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to continue today to speak along the theme that we've been speaking about since the beginning of the year. Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount with the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. And we know that the wise builder built on the rock so that when the rain and the storm came, his house did not fall, whereas the foolish builder built a a castle on the sand, and when the tide rise, it fell. Jesus goes on kind of along this idea on being a builder in the area of Caesarea Philippi. We talked about it last week, where he reveals who he is as a builder. Caesarea Philippi, if you remember, was a pagan location filled with demonic temples and worshipers from all over the Roman Empire came to this place on pilgrimage to worship whatever their God was for whatever their need was. And, and it was a pluralistic society in their approach to God. It was almost postmodern in a sense that whoever's truth worked for them works for them. And, and whoever you're worshiping, that's good for you. And however you do it, that's perfectly fine. And into this society, Jesus comes in the midst of a million opinions on who God is and how to approach him. Jesus walks right into the middle of it as he walks into the middle of our society. And he asks his disciples all these opinions, but who do you say that I am? There's silence Until Peter speaks up, Simon, and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are correct. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. In other words, you have received the divine revelation from God. And God changes Peter's name in that moment. And he says, you are no longer just a hearer. Now you are a rock, Petros, rock on which I will build my church. And this verse is, 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 a, is a powerful verse that's kind of echoed through the ages. In fact, if you were to go to Rome, which is where Peter traveled to at the end of his life, he became the first bishop of Rome. He was crucified upside down because he felt it was unworthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord, was martyred there as the first bishop. But if you were to go to Rome today and go to Vatican City and stand in the middle of St. Peter's Square, if you were able to look at the architecture around you, see it from a bird's eye view, All of the buildings are created in such a way that it looks like a massive key. And the reason that is, is because of the next verse where Jesus says, you are the rock, I'm going to build my church and the keys of the kingdom I'm going to give to you. And so that speaks even to what their belief is of who Peter was. But we know that Peter is gone, but the church is still here. He was at a rock, but Jesus is the rock that the church is built on that will last throughout eternity. So my hope for you and for me For us today as a church, as a community, is that we would be church-building Christ followers. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a builder. Some of you didn't turn. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I was supposed to turn to you the first time. You're a builder. (laughs) See, our goal as Christians means little Christ. Our goal is to be like Christ. We want to sound like Christ. We want to live like Christ. We want to speak like Christ. We want to forgive like Christ. Our goal is to be like Christ. And Jesus shows us one aspect of his character as he says, I am a builder. He wasn't just physically a carpenter. He was spiritually a builder. And Jesus says, there's one thing I'm going to establish. Not a government, not an institution, not a location. I'm going to build a church in the hearts of men and women. So if we want to be like Christ, we got to be church builders. 
Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're a church builder. And if you've been here even for just the past few weeks, I want you to know, I believe God brought you here, not just to attend, you know, not just to sit in here, but to be a part of the great thing that God is building. And that's why I wanted to start this year off here at Awakening Church to begin to preach about, I believe, the season that we're in. And we are in a season of expansion. Come on, say expansion. Like a large building gaining a new wing, pillars must be brought in and fastened to each other as they prepare to bear a new weight. This church has been built on faithful men and women over many, many years. But in order to make room for what God wants to do and what he's doing, there needs to be more people added to carry the weight that is coming. And so some of you have been attending for three years, some three months, some 30 minutes. My name is Jordan. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad that you're here. But I believe God has brought you here for such a time as this, to be a part of what he is building. And he will use our time, our efforts, our resources to create something timeless, holy, and eternal. So today, as you listen to these scriptures, examine yourself. And if Christ has brought you here, begin to commit to the cause of building his church alongside Jesus in the new season that is to come for this house and for your house. Can you say amen? amen. Today, I want to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, where we were last week. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV, but if you want to turn in the ESV, that absolutely works as well. Matthew, chapter 16, we're going to read verses 18 through 23. Matthew, chapter 16, 18 through 23. Going back to the place Caesarea Philippi, Peter has just announced the revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is now going to give him a new name in recognition of a new calling, a new leadership. Matthew 16, 18 says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And in verse 21, he says, he, he explains to them that he has to go and he has to die, but on the third day he will, be rise, uh, he will rise again. And in verse 22, the Bible says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. In verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In two verses, the rock becomes the stumbling block. In two verses, Simon gets the brand new name, the rock, before Dwayne Johnson ever had it. He gets the rock, and it's kind of a, it's a pun, you know, that Petros, Peter, means rock. So it's given this pun, and then two verses later, Jesus puns on the pun. We're in inception levels of clowning. And Jesus kind of makes fun of the name he just gave him and says, now you're not being like a rock, now you're being like a stumbling block, tripping hazard. You're out of place, you're out of sorts. 
You're out of designation. What happened? What happened in two verses to go from the rock with the keys to the kingdom to a stumbling block and being called Satan? If there's one thing you don't want to be called by God, it's Satan. In one conversation, we see a massive shift happen in Peter's life. How could this have happened? How could it happen so quickly? Have you ever gotten tripped up when you felt like you were on top of the world? Have you ever made a mistake when you felt like you were killing it? Like you just felt like you were doing so good, you know? You just felt like you were so holy. And then you make a mistake, you know? 21 days of prayer and fasting, done. Day 22, difficult. Maybe you, you're, you leave Sunday morning. You know how you leave Sunday morning. You leave in the presence of God, the Spirit of God. It's going good. Then you're stuck in traffic for like 12 minutes. Then you need to just turn back around, get in the parking spot, go to the third service. <laughs> just go to the altar, repent. You know, uh, you know, maybe you just felt like you overcame a temptation. Maybe you felt like you, you, you broke through, you had breakthrough. And then all of a sudden you stumble somewhere else, you make a mistake, you go backwards, you fail, you say something you shouldn't have, you did something you, you didn't want to do, you, you, you went somewhere, you, you made a mistake where you just felt like, oh, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know I still had this in me. I didn't know, I don't even know how this happened. I thought I was past this. I thought I was beyond this. And, and you go from the top of the world to tripped up. Remember when I started running for a period of time, I never particularly liked running. But, I, you know, I got into it because, you know, everybody has to have that moment in their life where they try it, <laughs> you know. And I, I, I was doing good. I mean, good for me. I got up to like, I could run like three miles. Like some of you marathoners are laughing at me, but whatever. You have to run every day. I don't. <laughs> I got up to like three miles and I felt good about myself. Like I'm killing it. And then I thought, you know what I should do? I should go trail running, you know. And I, I'd never been trail running. And um, I didn't, I only had boots, you know. I didn't know you were supposed to. And I'd never been on this trail before, and I went full speed for about 50 paces. And then I tripped on a rock and uh, hobbled my way back to the car, and I haven't run since. <laughs> it's been years. That was my last running experience. Got tripped up on a, you know, on a, on a stumbling block. It's funny how quickly failure can follow victory. It's almost ironic how fast it can happen. It's almost amazing how quickly Failure can come after victory. You know, I, I heard a preacher say once, I heard a preacher say once to young preachers, he said, you know, all of you pray real hard before the sermon when really you should be praying real hard after the sermon. And he says, especially if it's a good sermon. The enemy loves nothing more than to come and steal the victory, to bring defeat, to come with an attack at the moment of opportunity, of, of victory. And that's what we see with Simon Peter. In, the, in one moment, he goes from Simon, he gets a new name, a new identity, a new calling, a great recognition. He gets to be the person that recognizes the Messiah on planet Earth and has the boldness and bravery to call it out. And in that moment, go from Simon to Peter. A brand new calling, but he's got the same habits. He's got the same issues. 
He's got the same problems. He's got the same stumbling blocks. And that's true of you and me, that, that we can come to Jesus and we can receive phenomenal things, breakthrough, victory, salvation, a new calling, a gift, have a phenomenal moment, be in his presence. We could go from Simon to Peter. But can I tell you, even after that, you're still gonna struggle. You're still gonna have issues. You still have to fight some things. You're still gonna have to go through some things. We know that salvation happens in a moment, but sanctification takes a lifetime. In other words, you can be recreated, your soul can be captured by heaven in a moment, but your body and your mind, you're still gonna struggle with the things that you struggled before. Now you can gain victory, and you can be cleansed, and you can be made clean by the blood, but it's gonna be a process. And you're gonna to have to stick real close with God. And you're gonna to have to allow him to rebuke you. And you're gonna to have to allow him to challenge you. And you're gonna to have to surrender. It, really what I'm saying is you're gonna to have to continually get realigned with God. And that's really what I wanna to speak to you about today is the, the process of following God. Because see, following God requires continual humility and constant alignment with his word. It requires continual humility because in one moment, you can go from the rock to the stumbling block. You could be a disciple. You could be in the presence of Jesus himself. And in one moment, you could go from the rock to the stumbling block. So you must be a believer, a follower that's constantly in humility and constantly aligning, or might I say, realigning to the word of God. You got to get his thoughts. You got to know his ways. You got to stay close to him. You got to keep drawing near. You know, some people say like, oh, I don't, need, I don't need to go to church to go to heaven. For sure, for sure. But I'll tell you why I need to go to church. Because if I don't, I lose part of my realignment process. Like, can you get to heaven? Sure. But I don't think you'll get there having built much. And I feel like you'll be one that was like, almost like a, almost like a, like a, like a sheep that's been lost in the woods. You come all messed up and everyone's like, what the heck is that? Is that a wolf? No, no, it's a real sheep. What? Well, you've never been sheared. You've never been protected. You're not, you're not well fed. You're not in a flock. There's no, there's no shepherd that will speak to you. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel it if I miss church in a week. I'm coming back like, thank you, God. You know, sing that song. The worship leader says, what song? Any song. <laughs> Any song. Why? Because I need to get realigned. I need to come in humility. I need to hear the voice of God. I need to be with the people. I need to be in the presence. I need to hear the word. You say, can't you do that at home? Absolutely, I need to do that too. I need daily realignment with the word of the Lord. Well, why? Well, Isaiah tells us. Isaiah 55, verse eight, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Simply put, let me, let me put it simply like this. 
Your alignment determines your usefulness to heaven. God is so up there, you are not naturally going to draw close. Your emotions won't naturally lead you towards grace, forgiveness, and holiness. Your old way of living will not naturally come back into alignment with the new life that you've received. Simon always wants to butt in after you've become Peter. You gotta constantly realign with God's ways and you gotta understand this will not happen naturally. It has to happen supernaturally because his ways are so much higher, so much greater, so much wiser, so much better, so much holier that it's on you and I to come alongside him. That's where Peter gets it wrong. Peter, instead of coming alongside Jesus, the Bible says that Peter pulls Jesus aside. Well, here's the problem already. The Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. But Peter says, no, 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 come over here. He pulls Jesus aside. Jesus. I can already see the other disciples going like, dude, don't do it. His brother Andrew like, dude, Peter, please don't do it. Peter goes, come here. Pulls Jesus aside. Then the Bible says, then he rebukes him. This isn't going to go well. <laughs> What's the problem? Peter got out of alignment with his assignment. It wasn't his assignment to lead Jesus. It was his assignment to lead Christ's followers. It wasn't his assignment to tell God what to do. It was his assignment to hear from God what he's going to do. He got out of alignment with his assignment right away. It wasn't him to tell Jesus how to build. It was him to allow Jesus to build on him. That's the problem. He, he misunderstood his role in leadership. It wasn't to lead God. It was to hear from God and lead the people. But like us, Peter got a little puffed up from the moment before. Given a new name, said the thing no one else would say said that like God speaking to him that he's gonna he gets the keys you know you ever give someone like one key and they lose their mind they get like one key to the closet and like all of a sudden they're like walking around like flipping it like you need to get in there gotta ask you ever have to go to the bathroom and ask the employee for the code they have all the power in that moment no one man should have all that power <laughs> He got the keys and it went to his head. Got his pride, his gift was recognized. I'm prophetic. I hear from God. God answers my prayers. God listens to me. I've got special revelation. I'm called. It's amazing. The Bible says many are called. Few are chosen. You know, so many Christians are looking for their calling. Listen, we're, we're all called. I'd rather be chosen, set apart. Aligned with the Lord. He was spurred on by all these things that we get spurred on by, thinking it's, it's such a unique thing. And, and the, the problem is he entered into a place of hubris where he thought it was him. It was overconfidence. He, he thought he's the reason, you know, he's the one, that Jesus needs him, like Icarus. He could fly, but he flew too close to the sun. It ends up being his demise because he thought more of himself than he should have. Don, have you ever thought more of yourself? Then you should have. I'm not just even saying spiritually. I'm just saying physically. Like, have you ever watched a, like a, a, an Everest documentary of people climbing Mount Everest? 
And have you ever thought very silently to yourself, I could do that. <laughs> when like, clearly, you can't, you know? You can't even go on a trail run, you know? But you just feel like, if I had to, I, I, could, I could do that. Or, or, have you, or have you ever kind of, you know, you watch a little bit of HGTV and you walk in your kitchen and you say, I'm gonna renovate this place. You know, and then halfway through, you realize you are no chip, and she is no Joanna, and you gotta call some, like a real person, like a real help, you know? <laughs> like, have you ever tried, like, have you ever tried to do a sport that you used to be really good at in high school, and then now you're 38, though? <laughs> and your mind's telling you that you can do it, but your body's like, we can't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hubris, you know? And that's sometimes we suffer from, from that spiritually, spiritual overconfidence. And when that happens, you shift. You shift out of alignment. When you start thinking, I know what should happen here. I, I, I got an idea. I've got a direction. I've got my own way. I've got a vision. You, you end up shifting out of alignment, out of a trust, out of a following with God. And now, if you're unaligned, you become unuseful to the Lord. Peter pulls Jesus aside and he says, never, Lord, never, Lord. That will never happen to you. And, and before you and I judge Peter, we've got to recognize that we do this too. We pull Jesus aside. And maybe we don't say it as blatantly as Peter, because maybe we're not as bold. But we pull Jesus aside sometimes in prayer. And we say, Lord, come on. Why is this happening? Why would you do this to them? Why are you allowing this to me? And I'm not saying you can't question God. But I am saying that if you do this without saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours, then you're out of alignment. And, and to be honest, sometimes we call it prayer, but really it's pulling Jesus aside and telling him, Lord, but here's my dream. Here's my vision. Here's the direction. I don't know if you kind of know all the context. And it's very subtle the way that we do it. It's very subtle where we, we, we just feel like, you know what, God, you know what, Lord, I, I don't know what's happening here. Instead of saying that with humility, we say, I don't know what's happening here, but everyone thinks we should be doing this. Or sometimes it's so subtle. You'll hear from God and you don't want to do it. So you'll go and you'll talk to everyone else as if a thousand other opinions of yes will outweigh God's no. You know, but it's not how it works. It doesn't matter if the whole world says we're going this way. If Jesus says I'm the one way, that's it. And sometimes, like Peter, we'll pull God aside and, and let him know what he should be doing, what we think, what we want. In other words, we tell. We don't ask. We demand. We don't surrender. But I wonder how many times we've missed what God is already doing and wants to do with us because we're insistent on him doing it the way we believe he should be doing it. I wonder how many things we've missed. Because we got to remember this. Salvation means surrender. Salvation means surrender. If you say, I am a Jesus follower, but I don't surrender here, then you have not yet experienced the fullness of salvation in your life Salvation only comes after complete and total surrender. And let me add on to that. Surrender makes you suitable for God's use. For God's use. 
Surrender makes you suitable for the master's work. If there's no surrender, God can't ever use you. I can tell that I need to explain that a little bit more. So I will. If there's no surrender, you think, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you, I'll come to church, I'll be here, Lord, but you know, there's still some things that are mine. Until you give it all, God won't use you. He has eternity and he can wait until you're ready to come around and say, Lord, however you want to use me, whatever, whenever, wherever, I am completely ready for the master's use. Whether I understand it all, whether I agree with it all, whether I'm in, you know, whether I have thoughts on it, Lord, I give it to you and I choose to believe. Surrender makes you suitable to the master's work. I mean, think about the great works that mankind has done. You know, think about the great pyramids, you know, or think about the Western Wall, these massive blocks fitted together to build this, this mighty tower. You know, the, the pyramid, they say, was so intricately built that there's areas that the, the blocks are still so tightly put together that you can't put a single sliver of paper between the rocks. That's how phenomenally well-fitted this thing is put together. Why? Because the stones, the stones had to be shaped and then they had to be placed. Please hear me. God says, you're a stone and I want to use you. But here's what needs to happen. You need to be shaped and then you need to be placed. But if you refuse God cutting areas off your life, if you refuse to be found, because see, if God's going to use you, he's got to refine you. So God's the one that goes to the quarry and digs you out. God dug you out of sin, shame, guilt, stuff, junk, all the dirt, all the mud. He, he's the one that pulled you out of the quarry. And then he's going to put you through the process and he's going to begin to cut some things off of your life. He's saying, look, this is a rough edge. This is, makes you unusable. This makes you unbuildable. He's going to begin to cut some things out of your life. But if you say, Lord, don't touch that, then God says, I can't use you until you let me refine you. He's going to come with the chisel. He's going to come with the grinding saw. He's going to come at and begin to polish. Finally, when you're set, then he'll say, okay, now you're fit for the master's work. Now you're going to be fitted tightly together with other people. And that's what Peter talks about. He says, you and I, we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. But hear me, in order to say that, we, to, to do that, we need to say the opposite of never, Lord. We need to say whatever, Lord. Whatever, Lord. Not like a teenager. Whatever, like whatever, Lord. But like a mature adult. Whatever, Lord. Cut what you want off. Grind it down. Polish me. Use me. Set me wherever you want to set me. Connect me with who you want to connect me. Why? Because I want to be a part of the house that God's building. Come on, I don't want to be a stumbling block. It, they're both rocks. But one is set by the master's hand. One is part of a purposeful design. One has been polished and refined. The other has been thrown on a path that anyone running down can trip over. Both are rocks, but one has a good use. Come on, I want to be, be used by God to build something mighty. Come on, you want to be used by God. Go through the process of refinement. Allow God to cut the things off of your life because the reality is you are either a builder or you are a blocker of God's work. You are either a help or you are a hindrance to God's work. Who will you be? The elements of a builder are found in, in, in Peter's first declaration. 
A builder is number one, a believer. When Peter says, you are the Messiah, what's that? That's a believer. Please hear me. God cannot use you if you don't have belief. But if you bring even a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed to God, you say, God, I believe you can use me. God, I, be I believe you want to. God, I believe you're giving me ideas. God, I, I believe in who you are. That's the first step. God's saying, okay, I can do something with your life. But come on, you gotta, you gotta start as a believer. If you're still caught in skepticism, if you're still caught in the land of doubt, if you're still caught in the land of sin, if you're still caught in the land of self, you cannot yet be used by God to do eternal things. It starts with the declaration, Lord, you are Messiah. In order to be a builder, you need to, to be a receiver. Simon means hearer. He heard from God, this is who you are. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. If you want to be a builder, you need to be a believer, which is believes up in a receiver, that you hear from God, that you accept his word. You don't try and change it. We don't try and water it down. We don't try and get around it. No, we receive your word and we begin to live our life by your word. If you want to be a builder, a rock, a stone that God can use, you got to be a doer. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is that? That's action. James puts it this way. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, if you're a, build, if you're a builder, you're gonna be a believer, you're gonna be a receiver, but even more than that, you're gonna be a doer. There's gonna be action in your life. There's gonna be some physical things that you can point to. And you say, I, I'm carrying the weight here. I'm connected with them there. God's put this mantle on my life here. I'm trying to learn how to sacrifice in this place. There's gonna be action and not just words. Come on, are you with me, church? Is this too much? Is this too much content? Because there's more. We see Peter go from a builder to a blocker in one moment. And I don't say this to, 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 to judge him or judge us. The truth is, in, in one moment, that, that can happen to any one of us. In one church service, in one sermon, you can go from open to close. In one moment, you can go from builder to blocker. And that's okay, but you gotta come back to realignment. This is what blockers look like and sound like. A, a, a blocker, number one, is an unbeliever. Pulls Jesus aside and says, surely not. Well, hold on. What happened to you are the Messiah? Now it's unbelief. Surely not, Lord. Not like that. Not this way. Not this time. This isn't you. Don't do this. Surely not, Lord. You begin to tell God instead of acquiescing to God's will. A blocker is a rebuker. Pulls Jesus aside, rebukes him, and then says, this shall never happen. He rebukes God. And before, you know, again, we judge him too harshly, we have to understand any time that we start fighting God's will, it's essentially rebuking God. A blocker goes on and becomes a denier. Surely not. This shall never happen. And then he denies. He denies what God's doing. This won't ever happen. That's a denial. And Jesus says to him, get, get thee behind me, Satan, then. Why? Because who's the ultimate God denier? It's Satan. Whenever you deny God's word, you ally with Satan. I don't care if you're a church. I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you're Simon Peter standing right next to him. Whenever you deny God's word, you ally with Satan. And you know what's very interesting about this moment is the seeds of denial were, were sown right here. At the end 
of this journey, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and he's, he's being crucified that night. And do you remember what Peter said? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. What's that? That's denial. But that wasn't the first time he denied. This is a pattern. The seeds were sown right here. Before he said, I don't know you, he first said, Lord, I don't believe. Lord, I don't do. Lord, I disagree. I'm telling you, and I'm just feeling like I'm receiving this right now by the Holy Spirit. I have seen so many people end up denying God, but start by not receiving or agreeing with the word of God. They begin to look at the word and they, they get that snake in their ear and they begin to get off track. They become critical. They become, they become hard-hearted. And they begin, to, they begin to push people away. They pull Jesus aside. They're not with the other disciples anymore. Now it's just them and Jesus and some weird home church thing. And they're saying, Lord, this is what we think. I know it says this, but the actual word means this. And it's actually not said explicitly. And technically, I watched the YouTube video. And honestly, I saw TikTok. And then my aunt put, posted the thing on Facebook. And then I just had a dream. And then I had my own revelation. And then I had my own interpretation. And then I won't let anyone challenge it. And God, why aren't you doing what I told you to do? I don't know you. I don't know you. Well, we'll start it back here. Now, thank God that he can restore you, that he can forgive you, that he can put you back into place and still build this church on you, but you're gonna come into alignment. Jesus reveals why this happens, because he says to Peter, he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What leads you to become a blocker? What leads you out of alignment? It's having an earthly mindset, a worldly mindset, a secular mindset, or let me put it this way, your old mindset. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. Two verses before, he had the mind of God, but now he merely has human concerns. And I think that's one of the primary issues that Christians struggle with, struggle with, go back and forth on, is that, is that, that old nature versus the new nature. Simon versus Peter, that old mindset versus the new mindset that God wants to give us. The primary issue that Christians struggle with is a man-centered mind, a flesh-oriented mind, an earthly approach, but you want heaven's outcome. An earthly approach, but you want heaven's outcome. Come on, this, this, this goes into many areas of our life. It's a problem that we've got to deal with. Many people, even in this church, I mean, in the area of relationships, you take a tender approach, but you want a godly spouse. You can't take an earthly approach and get a godly outcome. You gotta come into a, a brand new way of doing things. Well, I wanna do it my old way. I'm concerned with the old way. Everyone else is doing it the old way. Or what about in the area of finances? You haven't yet engaged in the principle of the tithe. There's not yet generosity flowing in your life. You're hoarding, you're keeping, you're stingy, you're miserly, and you have every justification in the world to be. The economy, inflation, the way you were raised, your parents, your bank account, there's always going to be reasons to not give. Maybe you don't even steward your finances well. You've got no budget, you've got, you've got, you've got uh, no wisdom, and then you come on Sunday and you say, bless me, Lord. I'm ready. 
And God is looking at the prayer, but then he's looking over at the lack of principle. And a prayer won't violate a lack of principle. God says, even if I poured into your bucket, you got a bunch of holes. You gotta, you gotta go, you gotta go plug those holes. Go learn about tithing. Go, go learn about being generous. Go learn about giving to the poor. Go learn about taking care of others. Go learn about making a budget. Go learn about being a good steward. Go learn. Go, go learn about investing. Stop gambling. Go learn about it. You know, you say, Lord, just give me a talent. I did. You buried it. Go dig it up. Go, go work on this thing. And then I'll bless. But I'm looking for doers that don't have an earth-centered approach. Because God will not bless if we will waste. And God will not bless if we will not be a blessing. He will pour in for you to continue to pour out. But there has to be a heavenly approach, not an earthly approach with a, with a desire for heavenly outcome. We can even take an earthly approach to our spiritual life. See this happen in the church all the time. In fact, many times you see it with new believers. They take an earthly approach to God. And what is an earthly approach to God called? Dead religion. You say, I'll come on Sunday. I'll give you one hour, Lord. I'm here. One hand. I'm out. And you say, and that's enough. No, no, no. That's an, that's an earthly approach to God. And you want a heavenly outcome. But God doesn't want a little bit of you. He doesn't want a little bit of your Sunday morning. He wants all of you. Come on, how many know God wants all? He's either going to be Lord of all or he's really not Lord at all. And you got to understand Christ will not be compartmentalized in your life. He's too big to fit in your little box. Too many of us want a wallet-sized picture of God when the entire universe cannot contain who he is. He won't, he won't get on your timetable. He won't fit into your scale. He thinks he's God. And too many Christians want to give God a tour of their life, especially at the beginning, and, and they'll open up, you know, almost like those storage units. They'll open up the storage unit, and this one is labeled spiritual. You say, God, take a look at what's going on in my life. I just started coming to church. I got a new nativity set. That's you right there. Um, I got one of those crocheted Bible verses that goes in the bathroom. That's in the back. My grandmother gave me that. And, uh, and there's my, you know, what I wear on Sunday. This, uh, the Bible, a little dusty, but. He was like, this is your storage unit. And God goes, all right. What's this storage unit? It's labeled Friday night. And you say, God, uh, that, that's, that, that's not for you. That storage unit is just my personal storage unit. It's just me and the, me and the boys, are the, we're the only ones that have access to that storage unit. And God's like, oh, all right. Well, what about this one? Finances. Uh, that one too, it's closed. I don't know if there's an attendant around here I, he, who has the key. I don't even have the key, honestly. So I don't, and God looks over. What about lifestyle? Is that one yours? Uh, it could be mine, could be mine. But again, um, you don't get access. God says, open them all up because I'm coming into all of them. God wants to rummage through every box, pulling out old lamps. He finds a phone number. It's under Friday night. Whose phone number is this? Oh, she, her, um, that. 
I don't, it's an old phone number, so I can get rid of it. Um, all right, that illustration's done. God wants one storage unit labeled faith. Everything goes in that one. And I got to warn you, church, be careful about coming to this church if you just want religion. Be careful of coming to this church if you want to have a bunch of compartmentalized areas of your life. That's not the kind of church this is. That's not the kind of God you serve. This church, we do not try to contain God just to a Sunday morning service. He will burst out of Sunday morning. He will step into your home. He'll step into your car. He'll step into your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He'll step into your mornings. He'll step into your night. Pretty soon you find yourself fasting. You don't even know what you're doing. You find yourself praying. You find yourself convicted. You find yourself changing some relationships. All of a sudden you, you say a word that you used to say a million times a day and you feel a little thin. You're like, what is that? Another Christian has to tell you, that's called conviction. You say, what's happening to me? You're being sanctified. You're being cut. You're being shaped. You're being placed. But you have a challenge. Will you surrender to change or will you seek to control? This is the challenge that you must face. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, chapter 2, set your mind on things above not on earthly things. Don't take an earthly approach to your life. When Jesus saves you, he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life in eternity. Now you live your life from heaven downward. Everything comes from him. Can you say amen? Amen. Peter was called to be a rock. Jesus said he's going to build on rocks, and you and I have the same choice. Will we be a rock or will we be a stumbling block? Right now in this moment, I want you to do a spiritual check-in. My youth pastor used to have us do these exercises, spiritual check-ins. You could do this on your own. Do it every day, once a week, once a month, a couple times a year. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves. That's what you're here to do on Sunday morning. You're here to examine yourself. And I want you to know, you know, like as bad as maybe you feel like you're doing on some Sundays, you're still here, you're still open, you're still examining yourself. And I got to say, those that are open to the Spirit of God, who are consistent in coming to church and constantly are examining themselves, I think one, two, ten years out, you are going to be far further than those that sit on the couch, smoking pot, eating Cheetos. I think you're going to get so much further. Why? Because you are open to the divine, to hearing from the Lord, bettering yourself, growing in areas. And that's what we're doing. We're examining ourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Here's the test I want you to ask yourself. You could take a photo or write it down and just think about it throughout the day and week. Have, ask yourself this question. Have I been a rock or a stumbling block? Have I been a rock to the Lord? In my usefulness to God, the church, serving, in my finances, in my relationships? Have I reflected him well? Am I carrying weight, leadership, taking another step? Have I been a rock in my marriage, my family, for my children? Or have I been kind of wishy-washy? Have I, have I not been present? Have I kind of let whatever happen? Have I been a stumbling block even? A poor reflection of God? To my extended family and friends, have I been a rock? Solid, stable, holy, a representative of Jesus? Or have I been a stumbling block? A hypocrite? Someone that they look at, at you and they say, there's no way you're a Christian. Nothing in your life has changed. Here's my question. Have you been a rock? or a stumbling block. Today, 
you can get realigned. Come back under the Lord, and then God can start building on you, connecting you, and he can build a mighty, mighty temple out of your little life. Following God requires continual humility and constant alignment in his word. But Jesus says, if you will do this, if you will follow me, in fact, in Matthew 16, 24, the very next verse, you say, what do I do? Jesus says, all you have to do this is this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. He'll make you a rock built into a mighty house that will last into eternity. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.